So if you I'm going over the list of muscles using some diagrams, some pictures. Um, the we'll see. There are some videos in the in the presentation that hopefully they will load on the screen. But if they're not, I will post it, and you can check them out later um, using your your computers and see the action of some of these muscles. So let's start defining first the action of the muscles, the, the actions of the muscles. We've seen some movements, some body movements, where we did joints and bones, like flexion, extension, abduction, adduction, rotation. And all these movements are determined by the muscles. When one muscle contracts, and goes over the joints, connects two bones, one bone will move over the, the other one, and uh, there are some mechanisms that we need to review. Like, all muscles, they work in this way. What one muscle does, there is another muscle that undoes the same action, or opposes that action. And that's what we call, that's why we use these terms, prime mover or agonist and antagonist. Always the muscles work in this way. A very good example of this is shown here, the biceps and the triceps. These two muscles, the biceps is in the anterior aspect of the arm, the biceps, and the triceps is in the posterior arm. So when you make this movement of flexion, flexion of the forearm at the elbow, the bicep is contracting. But at the same time, so this movement happens, the biceps contract and the triceps has to relax. Otherwise, you won't be able to move it. And when you are in this position with the biceps contracted and the triceps relaxed, and you want to extend the arm, the triceps contracts now but now the biceps relaxes. So that's what we call these two muscles, prime mover, agonist, and antagonist. As you see in the graph, the biceps and triceps, they are labeled with these names as prime movers, biceps is prime mover, and the triceps, and the triceps is antagonist. For the flexion, when we are flexing this, but for extension, the roles will change. Now the triceps is the prime mover, and the biceps is the antagonist. This is the way the muscles work everywhere in our body. Now, it's not so simple. We are covered by muscles of different types, going in different directions. And when we make this movement of flexion of the elbow, these are the main muscles. But other muscles will also participate in that, in that movement. And that's why we talk about synergists and fixators. These are other muscles. Let's say in this movement of flexion and extension, biceps and triceps are the agonist and antagonist. But there are other muscles, like there's a muscle under the biceps called the brachialis. There's another one called the coracobrachialis which are not the main for this movement, but they help. 
In that case, those are the synergists. They add the extra force to that movement. And there's even another type of muscle called the fixators. And those are synergists, actually, but are the ones that immobilize the bone and fix the joint in some or other way, so this movement will happen in a good way, stable, and um, allow control of the, of the movement. So the two main muscles that perform the action are agonist and antagonist. Other muscles that help are synergists and fixators. Yes? Fixator Yeah, to stabilize the movement, the joint, during a movement or flexion, extension, abduction, whichever it is. Um, if you see the, the machines that usually are used for workout and the gyms, and they show you this machine is good for the deltoid, they say. You see a, a picture of a man with the deltoid highlighted. But then it says, and some machines say, this machine is good for deltoid and also for, and there's a, a list of muscles, additional muscles there. That's because the delta is the main, the prime mover when you are using that machine. The delta is the prime mover. But the other muscles are also working. And you work out not only the delta, but other muscles. And that's the way that all the machines are designed. So if you make like a circuit using machines in a logical, sequential way, you are sure that you are moving all your muscles or most of the muscles of your body, especially upper and lower limbs. So that's the first thing about the, mus uh, the muscles and how they work. And then this, uh, these are two pictures that show the main, the main muscles of the body, especially superficial muscles. We're going to emphasize on the most superficial muscles. There are places in our body where we have layers of muscles, like the forearm, for instance, and the forearm, anterior forearm, in anatomical position. This part has like three layers of muscles three layers of muscle. I'll show you when we go to the cadaver room if uh, we see a good dissection here. But in the models, we only see one, the most superficial. So in your list, you will have the most superficial muscles. But notice that there are even more muscles in each region that we can see if we start moving. And that's the usefulness of studying this doing dissections because you can move the muscles and see the layers removed until you get to every single muscle of the body. Anterior and posterior. These pictures are good to, uh, especially at the end when we finish, when you finish reviewing all the muscles and identify one by one, then you have a, the big picture of all muscles shown in, in these two pictures. Now let's start with individual muscles. In your list, we have divided these muscles by regions, starting with the head and the neck. The way you can use these pictures is get your list and highlight the muscles that are in the list using these pictures. And so they will give you, uh, they will be useful as a good guide. As you see, there are many other muscles that are labeled. Some of them are not in the list. So if it's not in the list, you're not responsible for that. I mean, it's not going to come in the exams. But if I make a question about one of these muscles, you're supposed to know that. And for instance, we'll start with the first one. 
which is up here and it's called the epicranius. Epicranius, also called occipital frontalis. In the list is number one, occipital frontalis or epicranius. We can use either name. This muscle goes all the way from the forehead all the way to the back of the head. Occipital frontalis, and that's why the name occipital frontalis, from the occipital to the frontal part, to the forehead. And it has two bellies. What are the bellies? Are the muscular part here and posteriorly here. And what's in between? In between this white membrane called epicranial aponeurosis which is not muscle, but it's a band of connective tissue. Um, this muscle is, it comes from the frontal bone and it goes to the occipital bone. And the movements of these muscles, of this muscle, epicranius occipital frontalis, is when you make, move the muscles of your forehead, the skin of your forehead in this way, and you can also move the, the, the scalp and uh, thanks to this connection from the occipital bone to the frontal bone. That's the first list and the muscle. Yes? I didn't even realize these are muscles and then when I seen the picture, I start flexing them and I'm like, wow, these yeah. are muscles. I never... Exactly. Like On top of the scalp, it's no muscle, it's just a membrane. Yeah. But that membrane is connected by the yeah, two. Yeah. Exactly. And you can and easily... Yeah, you can feel when you put your hand here, you can feel the contraction of that muscle and also in the occipital, in the occipital part. Then we have a list of muscles from number two to number seven. Orbicularis oculi, zygomaticus major, zygomaticus minor, orbicularis oris, temporalis, and masseter, and masseter uh, muscles. I selected these. There are many other, and they are considered and called muscles of facial expression because when we make all type of gestures with our face, we are making these muscles work. And they usually come from, they attach to the bone, whichever bone on the face, and then to the skin. And that's why we can make all types of gestures like closing your eyes, like smile, like uh, whistle, kiss, all those movements are thanks to this facial expression, muscles of facial expression. And they're very superficial. They're very hard to see when we do dissections under the skin. We find very fine bands of muscle and uh, they are these muscles of facial expression. First, the orbicularis oculi. The orbicularis oculi is this muscle that is surrounding the eye and it's a round muscle. The fibers are arranged in a round way. This muscle is the one that makes your eyes close and open. Orbicularis oculi. Psychomaticus major and minor. They come from the cheekbone Psychomaticus major minor from the cheekbone and they attach to the angle, the angle of the lip and the superior lip. 
So when you do something with your lips, like lifting the lips, you are making this muscle work, zygomaticus. And it's called zygomaticus because it comes from the zygomatic bone. That's the name of the bone of the cheek. Zygomaticus. There are two, major and minor. Very fine, actually very small fibers that uh, are present in that point. Then the other one in the list is the orbicularis oris. The term oris is for the mouth, like oral cavity. Orbicularis oris, all around the orifice of the mouth. And this is the one to whistle, to kiss. When they contract, we close the oral cavity in that way. There are other muscles which are not on the list, uh, but I've shown here like levator labi superioris, just as the name says, levator to elevate the labi, which is the lip, uh, superioris on top. And there is a depressor labi inferioris, just to depress the lip. But I took this from the list so you can remember like orbicularis oculi, oris, and zygomaticus major and minor. There's another one called the resorius. Let's mention this because this is the muscle of the smile because it goes to both angles of the lips. When you contract that, then you do the movement of the smile. So that's about the, the uh, from number one to number five. Six and seven where they are temporalis and masseter. The temporalis as the name says, is related to the temporal bone, is all this muscle that comes in this way, covering the surface of the temporal bone. And it goes and inserts down here, and we don't see the insertion, but it's in the, in the jaw. In this um, marking that we know as coronary process of the jaw, mandible, that's where the temporalis muscle goes to. And the masseter, the masseter is this muscle that is, that comes from the zygomatic arch, temporal bone, and to the angle of the jaw. These two muscles, what about these two muscles? These two muscles are for mastication. When you chew, and if you bite something right now, you bite your teeth and put your hand here in the angle of the jaw, you can feel that muscle contracting. That's a masseter, the masseter muscle. And whenever you chew or bite something, and also here, if you touch yourself here in front of the ear, then bite, you can feel the contraction of the temporalis muscle. Yeah, that's, they can see the very strong muscle, the masseter muscle. And probably have seen some videos on the TV. Sometimes, sometimes I go, they used to show these guys that pulled uh, trucks with a chain or something in their, in their mouths and just with that. Or they can hold up chairs and hold it with their mouth. That's the action of the masseter. Of, the masseter. of course, the teeth have to be well protected, otherwise the teeth will break with such a force. But the force is transmitted in a good way to the masseter, then you can see how strong this muscle is. And it makes sense because we need to bite our food sometimes very hard and we have to um, 
for mechanical digestion. All types of expressions thanks to these muscles. Like Psychomaticus major also works for smile, orbicularis oris, the orbicularis oculi to close or blink, some examples, and the frontal belly of the epicranius down here, that's the action, the raise the eyebrows. Raising the eyebrows is the action of the epicranius or occipital frontalis. There is one muscle here called the platysma, which is very superficial. It's also considered facial expression. And you can see that muscle when we make this expression, as you see in the picture, like making the neck, the skin of the neck tense, and you can feel like two bands of muscle here right under the skin. It's very superficial, the platysma. Thus, a separate view of some of these muscles, you see the temporalis and the masseter, which are muscles for mastication, mastication or chewing. It's very important when we um, eat these, to have these two muscles active. This picture that you see here are from um, some clips, some video clips. Uh, it's not showing very well on the screen, but I will try to get them and post them so you can review them at home or later and see how these muscles work and move the different types of bones. Muscles of the neck. The muscle of the neck we have one called the sternocleidomastoid. The sternocleidomastoid. Sternocleidomastoid, it is called in that way because it has three points of attachment. And those points of attachment are the ones that describe the name of the, of the muscle. Sternum, see the insertion here in the sternum or breastbone. Clado, the term clado stands for a clavicle, so there's another attachment to the clavicle. And mastoid, up here, mastoid process of the temporal bone. These three points of attachment for the sternocleidomastoid. And it's something that we can also touch here, you touch the mastoid process, and you go below and rotate your head, you can feel the band of tissue that is insertion of the sternocleidomastoid. You can easily follow it down to the neck. And in the neck also you can feel the insertion to the sternum when you extend and rotate your head to one another side that is the sternocleidomastoid. Is that like a muscle of the shorter muscle? Yeah. Like yeah. Yeah. And uh, this muscle sometimes gets uh, contracted. You see people come with contraction of this muscle when they come like this. They cannot move their heads and they get stuck like that because of the contraction, contracture of this muscle. Uh, and it's uh, a problem uh, that some people have. And not into this, but good to know that under the sternocleidomastoid, we have uh, muscles called scalenes, which are three, middle, anterior, and posterior. And they're very deep, deep muscles, and they have deep layers. And Notice the insertions and attachment and origin. They come from 
the cervical vertebrae and they go down and attach to the ribs first rib and second rib so these muscles will help to elevate elevate the ribs sternocleidomastoid mastoid and scallions they work as accessory muscles of respiration when someone breathes these are not the, these are not the main muscle for respiration but if someone is in respiratory difficulty like someone with asthma let's say have real trouble to breathe and if you see the neck you can see the sternocleidomastoid contracting because it's trying to elevate the thoracic cage to give more room for getting more air and the scalings also all these muscles of the neck the muscles of respiration are external intercostals and internal intercostals external intercostals well both are in between the ribs external intercostals they are the most superficial and the direction of the fibers run in this way we can say from superior to inferior and lateral to medial and under the external external intercostals if we go removing that layer we will find a second layer which is the internal intercostal and the internal intercostal fibers run in a different way they go from inferior to superior and lateral to medial also but inferior to superior difference with external intercostals that go, that go superior to inferior so they determine like a crossing over of fibers these are muscles of respiration external intercostals are used for inhalation and internal intercostals for exhalation and the main muscle the main muscle of respiration is this one the diaphragm the diaphragm which is the limit between the thoracic and abdominal cavity this is a view of the diaphragm from the abdominal cavity so in this case we are in the abdominal cavity and looking towards the thoracic cavity we can see the diaphragm closing that connection in between the chest and the abdomen and the diaphragm is skeletal muscle it contracts following uh, voluntary orders we can increase our respiratory rate and uh, uh, hold our breath that's thanks to the diaphragm and the diaphragm provides three openings three openings or foramina for three important structures one of them is for the esophagus the esophagus is a tube it's part of the digestive system the one that takes the food from the mouth to the stomach and it runs in the thoracic cavity it has to reach the abdominal cavity and it goes through the diaphragm through this foramen or opening the second opening is for the inferior vena cava inferior vena cava is a big blood vessel that brings the blood from the lower part of the body towards the heart so it has to go from abdominal cavity to thoracic cavity and it goes through this opening of the diaphragm and finally the third 
opening of foramen is for the aorta. Another big blood vessel that goes from the thoracic cavity to the abdominal cavity, and it has to go through this opening. So the diaphragm is skeletal muscle. It separates abdominal and thoracic cavity and has three openings for the esophagus, for the aorta, and for the inferior vena cava. Let's just go with the next round of muscles. Now we go outside to the anterior aspect of the body, go into the abdominal wall, and we have these muscles. The main muscle, I mean the muscle in the midline, is called the rectus abdominis. The rectus abdominis, which comes from, attaches to the ribs up here, and it goes all the way and attaches to the pubic bone. Those are the attachments of the rectus abdominis. And the movement is flexion of the trunk. When we make these abdominal crunches, we are making this muscle work, the rectus abdominis. And this muscle is not just a long group of fibers, but instead, on the way, it has these bands of tissue called tendinous insertions. Tendinous insertions that are shown like this, wide bands of connective tissue. And so there are short segments of fibers connecting all of them together, and this aspect of this arrangement of the fibers gives the appearance of packs. And that's why this rectus abdominis is seen and called a six-pack or eight-pack, depending on how many tendinous insertions. And there are actually three that determine four segments. But the ones that are visible are six short, and that's why it's commonly known as a six-pack. This rectus abdominis, there are two one in the left, one in the right, and in the midline, and in the midline, there is no muscle. The midline, the midpoint, there is a band of tissue called linea alba, and this is just connective tissue, it's a membrane. Now these membranes of connective tissue, they receive a name, they are called aponeurosis. You see here, aponeurosis, The term aponeurosis of the external oblique is this white membrane covering that muscle. And that is covering the whole, the whole anterior abdominal wall muscle. We have models there of the abdominal wall and you will see that all of them are covered with this white membrane called aponeurosis of the muscles. But that's midline. Laterally, there are three muscles arranged in three different layers. From outermost to innermost, outermost is the external oblique, middle layer, internal oblique, and deep layer, transversus abdominis. So there are three layers of muscles. These muscles are thin, but all of them together, they provide a strong, strong uh, muscles for uh, that hold all the viscera, the organs of the abdominal cavity. 
And notice the arrangement of the fibers. The arrangement of the fibers goes in this way. Sternal oblique fibers run in this way. From medial, I mean from lateral to medial and superior to inferior. Internal oblique, the fibers run in opposite from, from inferior to superior. So again, making like a crossing over of fibers. And the third layer, transversus abdominis, as the name says, the fibers run in a transverse way. This picture is showing the three muscles separately from outermost to innermost. We have the external oblique. Second layer, internal oblique. And third layer, the transverse abdominis. Now, this picture shows the transverse section, transverse section of these muscles. To see one thing, in the midline, in the midline, there is no muscle. In the midline here, there is no muscle. That is called the linea alba. And to the sides, the external oblique, internal oblique, and transverse abdominis, they are covered by aponeurosis that we see in white, and all these aponeuroses join to the aponeurosis of the rectus abdominis. The rectus abdominis is surrounded by white aponeurosis, and you see the external oblique, internal oblique, and transverse abdominis, the three layers, they send their aponeurosis and joined to this aponeurosis of the rectus abdominis. So there's a very strong connection or insertion between the rectus abdominis and the lateral muscles. Okay, moving to other muscles, and these are the muscles of the thorax and shoulder. In thorax and shoulder, from most superficial, we'll find the pectoralis major, commonly known as the pecs. And this comes from the border of the sternum, that's the insertion, the border of the sternum, the border of the clavicle, The fibers go to the humerus. That's the other part of insertion, point of insertion. The pectoral is major. And this pectoral is major is the one that makes or helps for the movement of adduction. Like these are the ones that we work when we make the butterflies in the gym like this. The pectoral is major help for this movement of the humerus, bringing close to the midline. In the shoulder, covering the shoulder, this muscle called the deltoid, which connects to the clavicle, the scapula posteriorly, and it comes to insert to the humerus. 
Then we have, if we remove this layer of the pectoralis major, we'll find a second muscle underneath, which is called the pectoralis minor. And this pectoralis minor comes, the origin is in the scapula, it's right here, the coracoid process of the scapula. Remember that marking of the scapula, the coracoid process. Well, that's where the pectoralis minor attaches to. That's the origin of this pectoralis minor. Where is the insertion? If we follow it, the insertion will be in the ribs. Fifth, fourth, and third rib. That is the pectoralis minor. It's a very small muscle, but it's under the pectoralis major. It's a second layer of muscle. We can see another muscle here called the serratus anterior. Serratus anterior is a muscle that comes from the back, from the scapula actually, and it inserts to the ribs. And it can be seen as this zigzag or saw tooth or fingers that are attaching to the ribs laterally. You can see this very easily in these um, guys that are bodybuilders. You can actually see the surface of these muscles, the serratus anterior, like uh, fingers, finger-like projections covering the lateral part of the ribs. That's the serratus anterior, this muscle. Have this collapse of this mouth. This is the serratus anterior. Look how they they send segments to each rib, and they can be seen superficially sometimes. The back, thorax, but posterior, and the shoulder. Well, here we can see part of the deltoid the posterior aspect of the deltoid. And the deltoid attaches to the spine of the scapula, posteriorly to the spine of the scapula. And then we can see the insertion in the humerus here in a marking that we call the deltoid tuberosity. Then the most superficial in the back is called the trapezius the trapezius, which you have in your list in the number 23, is the trapezius. And it's called trapezius because it has a trapezoid shape. It, it comes from superiorly the occipital bone, and then to the spine of the scapula, and it keeps coming down all the way to here, to the midline, to the spinous process of the vertebrae, determining a trapezoid shape, and that's the reason why it's called trapezius. If we remove this layer of the trapezius, then we'll get access to more muscles, but before going there, let's see this other muscle here called the latissimus dorsi, which is a very large muscle.
and it comes from the spinous processes of the vertebrae and an aponeurosis in the back all the way up to the humerus. And this muscle, commonly known as the lats, is also known as the swimmer's muscle. When we swim, we make this movement, the rotation, we make this muscle work. Or making this, making a boat, that will be the action of the latissimus dorsi. Very large muscle, it can also be seen from the superficies, from the surface, in, in some people. Now, removing this trapezius, if we remove this trapezius to see the other muscles underneath, we'll find out. There are muscles from the medial border of the scapula to the midline of the spinous process of the vertebrae. And those are going from top to bottom, the levator scapulae, levator scapulae from the vertebrae, cervical vertebrae, to the angle, to the medial angle here, medial border. And as the name says, levator scapula, it elevates the scapula. When we make this movement, bringing the shoulders up, that's the levator scapulae action. And there are two more muscles connecting the midline to the medial border of the scapula, the rhomboids, minor, because it's smaller, and major, which is much bigger. These two are the rhomboids. So it goes in that sequence, levator scapula, rhomboid minor, and rhomboid major. And to the other side, we see the scapula covered by muscles. This is scapula covered by muscles. And the muscles that cover the scapula are supraspinatus on top of the spine, infraspinatus under the spine, and lower we have the teres minor and teres major. These are muscles that go from the scapula to the humerus. And they help for the rotation of the arm. We make this movement of rotation, we're like this, like pouring water to a cup like this, we are rotating. If you grab your arm, you're rotating like this. So that's the movement of these muscles that rotate the, uh, the humors. Or we make this, like this, we are making this rotating. They have a name, they are called the rotator cuff muscles. You see another slide for that. It's called rotator cuff muscles. And these are the clips. There's the rhombo minor, major. <laughs> Pectoral is major. Deltoid. And here we go again. So we see the pectoralis major and deltoid. Latissimus dorsoid. There's another muscle anteriorly that we see here. This is an anterior view. And it's called the subscapularis that goes from the scapula to the humerus. So we say the rotator cuff muscles. Rotator cuff muscles are three, a four muscles. It's a group of four muscles. The subscapularis is one of them. But the subscapularis 
is anterior and the other muscles are posterior and the components of the rotator cuff muscle are the supraspinatus, infraspinatus, and teres minor. Those three posteriorly. And anterior is the subscapularis. So these four are known as the rotator cuff muscles. If we go back to the picture that we showed before, let me look for this picture quickly. Here you go. So from posterior, supraspinatus, infraspinatus, and teres minor, these three are rotator cuff muscles. That's how we know these muscles, rotator cuff. And anteriorly, the fourth muscle is the subscapularis. The subscapularis, which can be seen from the anterior view. Here, the subscapularis. Let's go to the arm, upper limb. In the upper limb, we have for most superficial, for most superficial, the biceps. Biceps brachii, that's a complete name, biceps brachii. Because there's another biceps in the body, the biceps femoris, which is in the femur and the thigh. So it's not only biceps. If we want to be specific, we have to say biceps brachii, which is the biceps of the arm. And it has two heads, long head and short head. Again, it has uh, these two heads. One of them attaches to the coracoid process, the short head, coracoid process of the scapula. And the long head attaches to the scapula, but to the glenoid cavity of the scapula. And lower, distally, the insertion of this muscle is in the radius, in the radius and the marking known as the radial tuberosity. I think that was a question in the exam. The radial tuberosity. There are bone markings that are very commonly cited and named, like the radial tuberosity. And that's one of the few bone markings that should remain in our mind. When we talk about biceps, that goes to the radial tuberosity in the radio. Here below we have a, another picture of the subscapularis, which we say is anterior. This is an anterior view covering the scapula and going to the humerus. But if we remove the biceps, if we remove the biceps, we'll find more <laughs> muscles in the anterior arm. And those muscles are synergists, synergists, fixators. Two of them, brachialis and coracobrachialis. Coracobrachialis receive its name from the insertion and origin, coraco, coracoid process. 
So the coracoid process of the scapula is actually very important for insertion of muscles. We can name up to three muscles that come from there. The coracoid process for pectoral is minor, for the short head of the biceps, and for the coracobrachialis. These three muscles, they come from the, from the coracoid process of the scapula. Pectoral is minor, short head of the biceps, and coracobrachialis. And from there, it goes to the humerus. It's a very short muscle. It's a very short muscle from the coracobrachialis and the coracoid process to the to the humerus. And the brachialis come from the humerus all the way down to the ulna. To the ulna. And when we did joints, we mentioned something that all the joints are covered, or better say, the muscles always go over a joint and that allows the movement. You see here the brachialis and also the humerus to so the ulna going, going over the elbow joint. So when they contract, it makes to, uh, the, the elbow to be flexed. Now these are the muscles of the shoulder. This clip shows the rotator cuff muscles. So I said I'm going to uh, pose this clip so you can see them. Very interesting clips. Okay, posterior view. For what? For the arm. We are in the arm, the triceps. Triceps brachii, posterior arm. And this triceps is known as triceps because it has three heads. Two of them are shown here, the lateral head and the long head. What's the other head? Well, the other head is called the medial head, but it's actually deep. It's deep in the second layer. So you have to cut and remove these two heads in order to see the medial head, which is closer to the bone. And they go from the scapula all the way to the olecranon process of the ulna. That's the other insertion, olecranon process of the ulna. And again, this is another muscle that we can feel and touch. You touch the olecranon process here, your elbow, and make the extension of the triceps. You can feel the tendon of the triceps attaching to the olecranon process there. You can feel the movement of this muscle. Triceps brachii. Now let's get to the forearm. Forearm is a very complex area because of the number of muscles. At the beginning I mentioned there are up to three layers of muscles here in the forearm. And it makes sense because of all the complexity and accuracy of the movements that we make with our fingers, many types of movements. First, flexion, extension of the fingers. But a good way to remember these three layers is related to the movements. Because if these muscles are the forearm, what they are gonna do is work on the wrist and on the fingers. And there are three movements. If you analyze the movements of your hand and fingers, starting from this position, extension, one of the movements is flexion of the hand, like this, at the level of the wrist. Just this, of the hand, the wrist. That's one movement. 
Second movement is the flexion here, the beginning of the fingers. And the third movement is the flexion of the tip of the fingers. So there are three movements, one, two, and three. When you make a fist, you make all of them together. Starting from here, make all of them. But there's different degrees of movements in this way. Even the fingers can move individually. So we'll see how this is organized. First layer of muscles. The first layer of muscles is determined by flexor carpi ulnaris palmaris longus and flexor carpi radialis. These are the three, as well as the pronator teres, which is a very small muscle. These four muscles, we can consider three because this pronator teres is very small. Uh, these three muscles are the responsible of this movement, flexion of the wrist. That's it. And this tendon that you can see on the, through your skin, when you make this movement and oppose the pinky with the thumb in this way and flex, and you see a tendon here showing up. That tendon belongs to the palmaris longus. This one, the palmaris longus. And if we follow it, you can see it here on the wrist. Everyone should have this palmaris longus. Well, it's said that 5% of the population don't have it. But you can check now if you belong to that 5%. If you don't see it, what happens actually is you have it, what happens is that it's so small that it's fused to the flexor caporidialis and it's not so clear when you make this thing. But it doesn't make much difference because all of them, all the three muscles work together for the flexion of the wrist. And as you can guess, this is one of the tendons that gets injured when someone slid the wrist like this uh, and get deep enough to cut this tendon of the palmaris longus. So that's the first layer of muscle. There is a muscle here called the brachioradialis. Brachioradialis, which is also superficial, but this can be seen more lateral more lateral. You see this surface here? If you make an anatomical position like this and you see this bump of surface here, that's the brachioradialis muscle. Those are the muscles that you have on your list, the three, flexor carpionaris radialis and palmaris longus. I didn't include the other, the deeper layers because in the models they, they don't look so well and not so clear. But let's mention them here that we are describing these movements. The second movement we said is this one. So the movements of these joints, which are called metacarpophalangeal, because these are the metacarpal bones of the palm of the hand, and the phalanges are from the fingers. So if we make this movement, we are moving that joint between the phalanges and the metacarpals. Well, that is movement performed by contraction of this flexor digitorum superficialis or FDS.
which is all this muscle. It's a thick muscle, it's all this. But when we get here distally, you see that this muscle sends tendons, individual tendons for the fingers. So there are four tendons that come out of this muscle, each for each finger. And we can follow it and see it here. All these tendons are going to each of the, of the fingers. And then the deepest layer, the third layer, is the one that allows this movement of the fingertips or distal phalanx. Flexor digitorum profundus. Oh, here. Flexor digitorum profundus. Profundus, which means deep. Flexor digitorum profundus. And it's all this muscle that are the same way it sends individual tendons for the four fingers. For the four fingers. And they go, if you follow the tendon, they go up to the distal phalanx. They attach to the distal phalanx. That's why when we contract this, we move the distal phalanx in this way, the fingertips. Now, notice that I've been saying four tendons for the fingers. I'm not mentioning the thumb at all because the thumb has its own muscle, its own muscle called the flexor pollicis longus, which you see here. It has its own muscle. If you follow this tendon, it goes to the to the thumb. The thumb has a different and individual muscle for its movements. So that was about the forearm. As I was saying, the forearm is a really complex area and it's uh, usually hard to identify some muscles during the dissection process. I will show you next week in the cadaver. Uh, some of these cadavers have been dissected up to the deepest layer and I'll show you how the tendons look and all that's a very interesting place um, uh, to see the arrangement of the tendons, the insertion, and even the movements. Because you can pull these tendons and make the fingers move and identify which tendons are for each finger. And that's just the, flex the flexors, that means the anterior forearm, which are known as the flexors in, in group. And then the posterior forearm, in the posterior forearm, the muscles are called the extensors. And these extensors, it's easier because there's only one extensor, there's no three layers. Because for this, if you are like this, like a fist, the only thing you do is extension. You don't extend the, the, just this and that. It will be here, in both cases, you see antagonist and agonist working in a different way, different degrees of contraction. Well, the extensor is only one, and it's called the extensor digitorum. This extensor digitorum, in the same way, sends four tendons for the, for the fingers. There is another one here called extensor carpiolaris, which goes to the wrist, to the styloid process of the ulna. Here, this bony part here, which belongs to the ulna. 
extensor carpial nares, and the other extensor digitorum is in this surface. When you make these movements and put your hand here, you can feel these muscles contracting. And going more to the elbow, there are two more extensors which you have in your list. And those are the extensor carpi radialis brevis and the extensor carpi radialis longus. The brevis will be this, which is smaller, and the longus will be all this. And they come from the humerus, actually, from the humerus down to the radius. And they are next to the brachioradialis, so they are next to this muscle here in the lateral part of the forearm. But these are deeper muscles that, just to mention, you don't have this in your list, but one thing to notice is that some of these muscles, like the stensor pollicis brevis, extensor pollicis longus, they go to the thumb, and they are just for moving the thumb. The thumb has many other movements. They are very complex. You can make all these movements with just the thumb. The thumb is very important for the hand. It's amazing. If someone loses the thumb for, for some accident, imagine the amount of things that you do with your hand. And in all those things, the thumb is involved. Like combing your hair. How do you comb your hair? You grab the comb like this. Writing. Eating. Every single movement involves the thumb like this movement, gra grasping. If you lose a thumb, then you have the other fingers. How can you do that? You cannot oppose. Opposition is one of the most important movements for us humans. Notice and compare with the monkeys. Next time you go to the zoo, compare and see how the monkeys hold the banana. They don't hold it like this, they hold it like, like this. The monkeys hold, hold like this, like that. They don't do this. Just like this. And of course, other species that have these uh, hands, uh, the thumb is not so developed. The muscles are not so well developed for that. The muscles of the forearm. Any questions to this point? Let's make a 10 minute before we go to the lower limb.